Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. So as the tax season approaches us, and, well, it's not really the tax season approaching us. It's here. It's in full bloom. It's Steph Kamen's busy season, and yet we're still on the air, as we always are every tax season, with Seth anxiously tapping away at his keyboard and Sean <laughs> just packing up his apartment. I mean, what could be two different lifestyle, two more different lifestyles than the Seth and Sean Sports Radio Show right now? Sean not doing work for the last three and a half months, and Seth in the busy in in the midst of the busiest time of his year. So, Seth, thank you so much for making the time at 9:30 at night on the East Coast. <laughs> and uh, I am just happy that we were able to have a show today. Oh, it is the last show uh, until your formal move below the Mason Dixon line. So, True. I think next week. We'll- Next week, we will. my guess is actually for the rest of busy season, it's going to be weird times like this because Monday is the easiest night for me to work late. Um, but this is it. Six years after, you, after we started the show with you in Hoboken, with you in the city, you on the Upper West, me on – I don't remember if I was on the Upper West or Upper East at that point. Um, I think we started the show when I was on the Upper West because I think it was 2012 or 13. This is the end of the era. The end of an era, I should say. It is. It's the should last I be crying? show. What's that? Should you be crying? Should I be crying no. on the inside? <laughs> no, you, you, no, you cry when you have a kid. You don't cry when I leave New York. I mean, look, I'd love for people to cry when I leave New York, but that's not necessary, nor is it and really important. No, it, it, look, it's not realistic. I mean, more than anything else, it's just not realistic. Point is, ladies and gentlemen, this is this is the end of an era. Both Seth and Sean started in New York, and next week Seth and Sean won't be in New York, either one of us. So, the goal for next week will prop the next couple of weeks. We're either going to have a very late show, or we're going to have one probably in the morning. So we'll figure that out over the course of the next week. Um, next week I'll be driving pretty much the entire day. So I can certainly do it any time during the day. I know Seth has has clients and calls and whatnot, and then Syracuse plays Virginia next Monday night. So that might be a little trouble spot, but we'll figure it out. We'll be on either Monday or Tuesday of next week. It's just that simple, one of those two days. So we'll be sure, sure to let you guys know. We'll be sure to let you guys know. Again, busy season is a tough time for Seth to get an hour away. I fully understand that, but don't appreciate it. It's just the way it is. I just don't know. Well, I don't know, right? I mean, I don't know. And and at the end of the well, day, what do, you mean you don't as, appre- what do you mean you don't appreciate it? No, no, no. I cannot appreciate it. That's a better way. I can't appreciate well, I, what you go through. It's for it, it, for, it's for a three the month period. Yeah, no, I can't appreciate. I can't. I can't appreciate in the realm of I've never lived through it. So I can't appreciate what you go through on a daily basis for three months. I just can't do it. 
look, we, I, I negotiate contracts all the time. Sometimes I am immersed for a month, maybe a month and a half, but it's generally not a three-month period, and it's certainly not to the degree or the amount of different clientele that you have on a daily basis. I would generally deal with one. So right. you have easy clients like me who have one W-2, and then you probably have idiots. I mean, just in general. I think every profession has them. So I won't, I won't say that you yeah. probably don't. You do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, of course. You do. So, so the fact is, ladies and gentlemen, as we said before, this is my last week in New York. We, we did have a, uh, a going-away party. Well, I did. In, uh, in, at the Beer Garden on Saturday where we saw Syracuse take on Duke without one Zion Williamson. And it came up through discussion with Seth and myself and even his esteemed bride, Carly, in the fact that, Seth, should Zion even be playing now? Like, this brings up the amateur issues, right? This brings up the, the concept of whether if you are the distinguished number one, if you are certain to be number one, whether you even should go out and play. And we've had this problem. Yeah, we call it a problem. We've had this, this solution from many college football players who say, you know what, it's just not worth it. I'm going to do what I want to do. And one of them is Nick Bosa. And he is finally strapping on the pads or at least the underwear Olympics uh, for the combine this week. Should Zion just said, just sit down? Like, is there any benefit to no. play at this point? No, because, look, the reason people sit for college football is they are, is that they are, there is a chance of an injury, is a huge chance of an injury. Look at Jalen Smith. Look at Jake Butt. Um, you know, Nick Bosa sat out after he got injured, um, where you could lose a significant, significant draft, draft stock. Jalen Smith was going to be a top five pick. He ended up going in the second round because he tore, off his, tore out his knee. The thing with Zion is this. Zion, was, like Leonard Fournette is another good example of someone who could have because he was physically ready. And he was going to be the first running back taken no matter what. The thing with Zion is Zion was, not, was, was a highly recruited. But Zion was not the number one player in the country coming in. He has been the number one player. He has, he has gotten significantly play, better playing, with, playing at Duke. Um, his, his, the, the, the thought of injury, look, once a year it seems there's a, big, there's a player who has a ch- – what is even a career-ending injury in the NBA at this point? Paul George? Paul George is a top three is a top three MVP candidate this year. Levert, which looked as ugly as sin, um, you know, is back after three or four months. Hayward, you know, it doesn't happen in basketball very often. And you know, you're playing. This is not just playing to get in the tournament. This is a winning a national champion. This is a team that could very well win the national championship. And you go to Duke to win the national championship and to play in those kind of games. You're not, you don't see, you haven't, we haven't seen anybody sit out the college football playoff yet. You know, sit out the Blue Bonnet, well, the Blue Bonnet Bowl doesn't exist, but sit out the Holiday Bowl, sit out the Alamo Bowl, a game, two games, one thing. Well, you don't see someone sitting out for the national title. I don't see it happening. Well, well 
we, we had talked about this before the national title game, right? We, we had talked about yeah. this throughout, actually, the playoff bowl uh, – sorry, the bowl series, whatever you want to call it. The bowl season is a better way of expressing it. And we expressed that exact same thing. But my question is to you, I get that nobody's done it. I don't understand why. I think nobody's done it because, as I said, again, there's less of it. There's the chance of of injury of significant, significant injury. No, no, no. I'm saying, I'm no, no. Hold on. I'm saying even in the in the football realm, you're saying that nobody sat out a playoff game in in the bowl playoff. I get that. I just don't understand why. Because point. until a couple of years ago, it wasn't even a thought. So we've only had two or three in these teams. There are guys like Christian Wilkins from Clemson who would have been a top 15 pick last year. And he came back because they lost the national title to have a shot to try and win it again. You think these people are going to sit out? The reality is when you get to the level of winning a national championship, people are, these guys are athletes and by nature, they want to play. And for people who play college sports at this kind of level, this is to some of them the best time they'll ever have. I mean, as a Syracuse guy, do you think Carmelo ever had more fun than he did playing at Syracuse for a year? Probably not. The reason, the reason they don't want to sit is because they are so competitive by nature. And if they have a chance to win a national title, it goes against everything that they believe in to sit it out. Once you once that's out of the picture, then yeah, you know, would I have set out the Rose Bowl if I was Christian McCaffrey a couple of years ago? Probably not, but I understand the thought process. But they couldn't win a national title. Once that's in play, suddenly you're not just letting down you're letting down everybody. You lose a bowl where it has no impact on an overall scale. Your teammates may be frustrated, may not be happy, but there's an understanding. But everyone plays to work towards a certain goal. And if you can, if you are within a game of that goal, or you're a top two seed in a college in college basketball and have a legitimate chance at that goal, it, you're going to play because that's just how you're built. All right, so let's let's bring it back to Zion. So, so your point is that there is no catastrophic injury that could sideline a player and lose basically his draft status. I didn't so say there's none. I said it's unlikely. Okay. So so that's that's point A, right? I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's your point. And even that's actually been proven because Blake Griffin was still drafted number one and actually had yes. to sit out an entire year, right, if I recall correctly? Yeah, and ended up being worth it. I mean, from, I, I'm not disagreeing. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm trying to. I'm just trying to put a, a concept here. So, so it's actually gotcha. played out, right? He got hurt, and they still drafted him number one, and he was successful. He, he came back. He did what he needed to do. Your point is no, no sitting out, no to Zion Williamson. So let's talk about Zion coming back. So. Let's assume he's got a grade two level sprain. I don't know what the grade is, but obviously it's a knee sprain. When do you mm-hmm. bring him back? If you're Coach Krzyzewski, when do you bring him back? Because I'm not sure you bring him back 
Any time in when the he's near 100%. future. When he's 100%. I'm not saying you rush him. I'm not saying you rush him back. That would be asinine. But when he is ready to play and he's cleared by the doctors and he feels ready, he's ready to play, not when he feels because they're always going to say they're ready to play. When the doctors clear him to play, he plays. And if that means he misses the ACC tournament, he misses the ACC tournament because that is the coach's responsibility. It's one thing leaving of your own volition. It's another thing leaving, you know, your coach doing what's best for you. And what's best for Zion is to not play until he's healthy. And if he can't recover, then he can't recover. Because that's looking out for the best interests of the player. And especially someone where, like a Krzyzewski or, well, formerly I was going to say a Patino, but or Bill Self, although he's got a good issue, or Paul Perry. I mean, it's not like the, their, their job security is contingent on making a final eight in a given season. That's so, you, you know, it's a lot harder for a guy like, you know, like Archie Millard, Indiana, where if Langford gets hurt, and, they, and I don't think he should, be on, he should be in trouble at all, or Bart Turgeon, you know, if Bruno Fernando gets hurt and you really have never made past the Sweet 16 and you've been on the hot seat – well, there may be a, there there may be an alternative me- reason for it, Ul- ulterior mm-hmm. method, material, ulterior motive for it. But she's asking, mm-hmm. he's won five titles. If it's not this year, it'll be oh, another year. Look, there, look, there's there's no there's no question that Shashevsky has earned the right to do whatever he wants, right? I mean, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, that he he can he can turn it on, turn it off. So, so that brings us to another point, right? So, okay, so we're we're going to move on from this. And the right to do what you want. So this hit a little home last last week when when I when I got a call from Seth, and I believe the call went like this: Sean, Jim Beheim killed a man. <laughs> I, like, I and, right. I believe that's exactly how that went. Now there was no. He didn't say murder. He didn't say. He didn't say anything that would presume guilt in that sentence. And the first thing I said was, Jim Beheim's 74 years old. Like, how does a 74-year-old man kill anybody? Well, unfortunately, Jim Beheim hit somebody with a car. And it is rather unfortunate. Uh, There is no presumed guilt. Uh, Actually, he was... uh, the Onondaga district attorney, Onondaga being where Syracuse University is, they said that there was no fault, that that the gentleman that was struck, unfortunately, stopped in the middle of a street on a, on an icy day and got out of the car and got hit by Jim Beheim, who was swerving away from the car that was in front of him. So that's the report. Seth, would you have coached the game on Saturday given what had happened on Friday? Or Thursday, and and when we say this, I'm backing on to you have earned the right to do whatever you want, right? Yeah. B- because I think Bayheim is basically, to me, and I would think to most people, in the same breath, maybe not wins, maybe not success, but certainly what he's meant to college basketball, meant certainly meant to his school, than the Shashevsky or Kalapari. 
I um, I think it's a personal decision. My gut is I wouldn't have done it, but I am not going to gauge. I I, I can't be in Jim Beheim's mind on this. Correct. I just can't. So if he feels, you know, whether selfishly or not selfishly, the best thing for him is to be out there coaching, okay. If he doesn't feel, if he says, look, I need a week off, nope. I'd say Mike Hopkins come and take over, but we all know that's not going to happen. Um, you know, I think that's okay, thanks, too. Thanks, thanks for pushing that stake a little bit harder into my heart. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 look, I get you. And like I said before, this is a concept of he can do whatever he wants, right, because he's Jim Beheim in yeah. He can do whatever he wants with regards to basketball. Please, ladies and gentlemen, don't take that out of context at all, that he can do anything he wants. That's not where I'm going with it, especially, especially in light of what happened last week. So he coaches, Syracuse loses to a, to a Duke team that's not led by Zion Williamson, and Duke will presumably be the number one team in the nation again especially after Tennessee losing. And we saw an interesting Tennessee game, which was backed onto an interesting Georgia and Southern Miss game, or Ole Miss game. Was it Ole Miss or Southern Miss? I have never – Mississippi, sorry, Mississippi State. I have never seen – look, I've watched, what, 40 years of basketball, both pro and college. I, I probably started watching when I was two or three. Let's call it that. I have never seen something like that happen. Have you? And for those that are are wondering what I'm talking about, Georgia was tied with Mississippi State. They had a two-shot, two-shot foul, excuse me, a foul that led to two shots. The first shot missed, but a fan threw, I believe it was a toy, on the court. It's like a stuffed animal. And they a stuffed animal, and they immediately called a technical foul on Georgia. It was a Georgia home game. Immediately called a technical foul on Georgia, to which I believe the gentleman who was shooting the free throws missed the second shot and the first shot, but made the technical foul, and thus Georgia wins by one. I've never seen that. I was shocked by... Because that is an awful way for a team to for a team to lose, considering they had nothing to do with the outcome. In my opinion, I, no real argument with you. Um, I've never seen it either. I don't think I don't think the refs. I, people give the refs a little bit of grief on this. I don't think you can. Someone threw something on the floor. I I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can do anything else, unfortunately. So it's a, it's a crappy situation. And luckily, Georgia's not really in the running this year for a, um, for a, for a, for a position in a tournament. 
the only SEC team that's not really in the in the running for a tournament. Um, but it's it's pretty it's pretty crappy. Um, there's no question so about it. I wish I had better words. It's just I don't. It so was there's just, no crappy situation. There's no there's no room for a warning in that situation. I don't think so. Um, I don't because, I just think. Okay, okay. So the stuffed animal was not thro- It didn't hit anybody. It was actually behind the player, right? The, it wasn't in the in the field of view. It was behind the player. Mm-hmm. And it did. And it didn't. It wasn't like the play was going on. This is a foul shot. So it didn't affect the play at all. At Understood. In my mind, didn't. Affect so that's where I come down with maybe a warning could have been justified as opposed to people running up and like, I get you don't throw stuff on the court, but the main concern with not throwing stuff on the court, in my opinion, is a safety issue more than it is anything else. There is no safety issue here. At I all. agree. As I said, I don't disagree. I think the problem is, I think it's one of those things that once you're, once it's done, I think it's, I think it's, it's a dangerous precedent to set. And look, we've seen this before. How many times have you, I mean, even in a hockey game, how many times have you seen people throw something on the ice? Eight zillion times. Exactly. Eight zillion times. Um, Although that's not during the game, actually, but still. No, that's the point. It is during the game, Seth. It's unstoppable. Score a goal. Right. Well, what is a foul shot? The game is still active, though, even during a foul shot. Okay. All right, I could take that. I it, it it's a it's a shitty pardon my French. It's a terrible way to lose a game. It's an inane way to lose a game. But I don't think you can get mad at the referees for the call. Just don't. Are you? I mean, what are your thoughts? Look, you I thought should've... it should have been a warning. I thought it should have been a warning. I really do. I think it should. I think a warning. Look, Crean went straight up. Tom Crean, the uh, coach for Indiana. Uh, sorry, yep. coach for Georgia, the former coach of Indiana, went straight up to to the mic and told people to knock it off. And I thought that that was now whether he did that in response to the technical or was going to do that anyway. I have no idea. But my thought process is he probably would have done it anyway because. He certainly doesn't want this getting out of control. I would have, I would have voted for, for a, a warning. But, again, like you said, it's a slippery slope, right? So then when do you call it a technical if, it's, if somebody did that and it was right after a play? Do you call it a technical? Like, right. I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's not great by any circumstance. Um. But I understood the, I understood where they were coming from, and I don't think there was a huge argument about it. Um, but it does put Mississippi State, which is a team that was kind of on the bubble, right? Been a bad luck. So that's a yeah. whole other set of issues. If you'd like to call in seven six zero two eight three zero eight four six seven six zero two eight three zero eight four six. Again, we do understand this is a little bit of a later show. And um, 
you know what? You may be catching this on the podcast rather than catching on the show. Again, we'll be going back and forth throughout busy season and, quite frankly, through my interview schedule. Um, <laughs> and we'll try, by, by the end of busy season, April 15th, we will hopefully have a, a steady time and we'll be certainly announcing that probably seven to eight as we used to do before or six to seven, depending on also Jason and Morgan. But we'll get to that when, they, when the case may be. Wait a minute. Who's Jason? I said Jake and Morgan. Oh, I thought you said, oh, I thought you said Jason. I was curious who that was. No, I, I know your son's name, my friend. <laughs> I know your son's name. So in the last couple of weeks – we have seen a couple of comp- – we're staying on college basketball for a little bit. We've seen a couple of conferences distance themselves from other conferences. And the one conference that I'm really – I don't know if I'm upset by seeing the lack of quality play. And, Seth, you have told me numerous times this season that I've actually watched more college basketball than you. I'm not Probably. really sure how that worked, but you have said that. But I have not watched any – Pac-10 college basketball, and considering that's past my bedtime, but right up your alley for bedtime. It is. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. The latest reports have only one team coming out of the Pac-10 for the NCAA tournament. That just seems wrong on many different levels. What's going on over there on the West Coast? Well, Arizona. Besides, they're not good. They are not good, but Arizona is having is has all sorts of issues going on. Uh, Sean Miller is going to going to be uh, what do you call it? Be um, testifying. Uh, it was, was subpoenaed for a grand jury based on some some of the prior issues that have happened with Arizona. Um, Steve Alford has been the most overrated coach in America, except he's no longer the most overrated coach in America. Um, Stanford has, took, has, has taken a step back, and Arizona State is just, you know, is just very inconsistent. The last couple years, it's been only Arizona and UCLA, and even from a talent perspective, these teams underachieved. You know, the UCLA team with Lonzo and TJ Leaf and all those guys lost in the Sweet 16. Arizona lost to Fugglewell last year with the number one pick in, in, a, in DeAndre Ayton. And you look around, the coaches, it, it's a stale conference other than Mike Hopkins and, her, and Bobby Hurley. It's, the talent is not great, although Arizona has a huge recruiting class coming in, but I still think that's also contingent on how everything else plays out for the next, you know, how, how – whether Arizona or Sean Miller are, is put under probation, is fired at some point due to everything that's going on. So, I mean, you're really looking at a, 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 you know, a conference not overly talented, not, over, not with, with none of the really big-time coaches at this point. And the problem also is that people, unless you're from the West Coast, people are not watching your games. Because, A, most people don't want to watch Bill Walton because he's Bill Walton. And, B, because the games start, as you said, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. Now, I'm up, 
So sometimes I'll watch the I'll watch UCLA Arizona 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 State whatever it may be. Most people aren't going to stay up to watch those games. So, meaning not only the publicity, the people are not going to want to play there in a lot of ways unless you're from California because nobody else is going to be watching. And the whole thing is everyone wants free publicity. Everyone wants to be seen, the big, you know, to be Zion, to be LeBron, whatever. When you're only on TV at 11 o'clock at night, that's just not going to happen. That's why it's a, that's the problem. So let me put it a different way. Is there any hope for the Pac-10 at any point? I mean, some of, those, some of those statements that you just made are not really curable. I mean, they're still on the West Coast, right? They still, they're always going to be there. That's not going to change. So are we just looking at the demise of the Pac-10? I know we get that in football a lot. But is that really the way that it's going to be going forward? Or are we – I mean, you said that they have a huge – I'm sorry, that Arizona is a huge recruiting class next year, which I can understand. Um, is that going to even matter other than if they go, I don't know, 30-0? and 0? No, I mean, you look at Arizona 10 years ago. You know, in the – you had – they were on the four o'clock games on CBS. They were well under Ludos and they were well publicized. UCLA is still UCLA. They're going to bring in a big name coach. You know, I would assume. It's, Stanford was a Final Four team under Mike Montgomery. The reality is that the coaches are not bringing in the talent. That's just the reality. And if you bring in a Jamie Dixon to UCLA or someone comes in, you know, whoever, Dana Altman is, you know, look, Oregon went to the Final Four two years ago. So I I think it's cyclical. I think everyone always is reactive to things more than being proactive. I think that's just the nature of life, to be perfectly honest. And... Larry Scott, who is kind of in trouble as the Pac-10, you know, as the Pac-10 director, whatever, president, excuse me, he's aware of these issues. But the problem is, you like, Washington State's been awful forever. Oregon State's been awful forever. You've got to get some big-name coaches to go and recruit talent. And Mm -hmm. they were good. You had, UCLA had Larry Brown, forgetting go back to Wood, I don't want to go that far. But back to, you know, Jim Harris, they had coaches, Lute Olson, Mike Montgomery, Ben Braun. There were coaches out there. Right now, right. you're really in a dead spot. And, you know, whoever, the Ken Bone at Washington State is not bringing in Clay Thompson at this point. It's just not going to happen. So you, you, that's where you need the – that's where you need it. Okay. So – with one month to go, where should we be looking other than the Duke-UNC, which got one of the greatest ratings last week? Where should we be looking with regards to some sleeper teams in the NCAA? Oh, do Duke and Carolina really constitute sleeper teams? No, but I'm saying, okay, so if you're taking away Duke and Carolina, who else is looking in that realm of making a run? Who, who are we looking outside of the norms? 
I think you're looking Sorry, at I LSU. Did not that. I think you're looking at LSU, who's making a wonderful run this year, beating ten, you know, beat Kentucky on the buzzer, despite undisputed call, but still wins at Kentucky. Beats Tennessee without their best player, Tremont Waiters, and Nazarene doing nothing. Very athletic. They're gonna. They should be. They're gonna. They're gonna have a good shot at a two seed. I think the Big Ten has got a weird issue. I think it's a year where every without uh, Josh Langford in up in East Lansing, I don't think Michigan State has can make a run at the Final Four. Michigan, I don't think has the offense to do it. Purdue has probably the best player in Carson Edwards, but doesn't have the depth. Maryland turns the ball over too much and doesn't. But any of these teams could make a run. I just think there are, they each have blatant weaknesses that have to be dealt with. Um, right. I think Gonzaga is really good. I think the Big 12, Texas Tech, always who beat Kansas by a 90 on Saturday, it felt like, is scary. I think – I think I don't think there's any other than Duke. I don't think there's any overwhelming favorite. Virginia will be Virginia will be what they'll be. You know, until they make the Final Four, nobody's going to believe they're going to make the Final Four. And that's not even just talking about last year against UMBC, but you know, against you guys in the Final Eight a couple years ago. And pretty much, you need we need to see we need. It's going to be an interesting tournament because Duke is utterly beatable. But they're very good. North Carolina, I don't even understand North Carolina. I don't know when they got this good. But every year, good old Roy seems to pull it out of his ass. Well, I was um, about to say, it's your, it, it's your favorite coach. I mean, he uh, coached them up, right? That's what he does. He did. <laughs> he did. You know, but I look through all these teams. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have not followed the show, Seth Kamins believes that Lloyd Williams is as good of a coach as Joe Flacco is as good of a quarterback. (laughs) Yeah, but I get proven wrong all the time. So hard hard to kind of – a little hard to generalize, unfortunately. Well, the one, um, the one thing you can always say about North Carolina or Duke is, is that they recruit well, and that may be recruits falling in their lap at times, but they do recruit well. So there's always talent on the team. I mean, it's not a matter of lack of talent. It's a matter of generally they're just too young or they're just not working together or – they have too much talent. So some some of their some of their imports, like Nasir Little, is not starting because you have, oh my God, you have the ACC Player of the Year on the team. I mean, sometimes it's too much talent and not enough sh- sharing of the ball. But as much as you deplore Roy, and I know you do, Roy does recruit well. Always gets talent. There is a time without talent on that team. But he doesn't get talent like Duke gets talent or Kentucky gets talent or Louisville gets talent or Arizona gets talent. He gets kind of the second-tier talent, which is why it's so weird to me that that team has done well over so well over the years. I find it quite – I find it pretty confusing to me. 
That's true because Luke May was not a top five talent by any stretch. I don't even think he was a top hundred player. So you have that. Okay. I mean, all right. So let's switch gears a little bit since since you named LSU. And now I will be watching LSU because, as I said before, I'm not the college basketball aficionado, although I have watched a good amount this year. When you're unemployed, this helps. You can watch basketball, a lot of basketball. But the point being, I didn't know who to watch. I've watched Jay Morant a lot. John Morant, excuse me, John Morant. But I didn't watch him because of college. I watched him because he may be a Nick. So I'm doing my own scouting. But the point being, I, I will definitely tune into LSU. And it's interesting not, noticing an SEC team that's name is not Kentucky. Or Florida, for that matter. Well, Florida's, having, Florida's having a down year. Tennessee's been excellent this year. Yeah. And they're a team that kind of almost reminds me in a lot of ways, different era, obviously, but of the Maryland teams in the, in the beginning of the decade, the millennium. You know, veteran-laden, hardened, have made some decent runs in the tournament, but haven't made the big run yet. You know, led by Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, they're going to be right there. Look, they have three losses, I think, this year at Kentucky, at Kansas, or I think neutral against Kansas, and at LSU. Not exactly bad losses on any of those. Um, did you say? Did you say Admiral Schofield? Yeah. That is the greatest name ever. I love that name. That's like X-ray hip. It just fits right in. It's like if you much were going to pick version. a much if you were going to pick a, if you were going to pick a name of an admiral, Admiral Schofield sounds awesome. It's not like Admiral Palmer. That doesn't go very well. Admiral no, Schofield no. just sounds like this guy is like straight out of World War Two. I love it. Anyway, continue on. Sorry about that. Um, you know, it's no. I mean, right now, if you if you said you know, Seth, name your Final Four. It's Duke. I mean, again, it's high level, but Gonzaga is very good. Duke is very good. Tennessee is very good. You know, but this is a year where I really think you have 15 to 20 teams that could make that run. Gonzaga typically under underachieves. They should have made the made the Final Four last year. Got beat by Florida State. Tennessee, until you make it, you still have to prove it. You know, Duke will be the favorite, but especially if Williamson's not at 100 percent, and you have guys who are you know who are not shooting what you know, reddish has been inconsistent. It's a team that is beatable. They're not big. You know, it, it, they'll be the favorite, but they won't be over, an overwhelming favorite going in. Okay, fair enough. So coming out of the overwhelming favorites to the not-so-favorites, last week there was a signing in the Major League Baseball spectrum. Now, there are 100, 100 free agents still out there. Spring training has already started. But if you had asked me where Manny Machado was going to wind up at the beginning of free agency, now towards the end I, did, I, I believe I mentioned the Padres at one point or another. I would never have picked the Padres at the beginning. 
And all indications were he was going to an East Coast team. And they came out of nowhere and, and signed perhaps the preeminent free agent of the year. And I think he's a better signing than Bryce Harper. He's been a better offensive player. He's been a better defensive player. He's been a healthier player. He gets a bad rub because of all the comments that he made last year about hustling and whatnot. But he's still, he's 26 years old. We've all said immature things at 26. In fact, I say him at 42. And set those two. So, the fact of the matter is, I'm a bit surprised that he signed there. But, overall, it's good to see one of these two guys sign. And now, we're coming up on Bryce Harper, and the rumors are that, well, not the rumors, Philadelphia has flown out to Vegas to speak to him. Now the Dodgers are back in it. This is crazy for February and almost March set. I look forward to spring training every year so we can stop these shenanigans and focus on the field. Is Bryce Harper's, I mean, he's 26 years old. He's perhaps a once-in-a-generation talent, perhaps, because he hasn't put that on the field. Where does he wind up? I mean, at this point, I think all indications are you have to look at Philly, but could somebody else come out of the woodwork? I don't know. Well, here's the thing. He doesn't want to go to Philly. I think that's Who pretty would? obvious. Fly Eagles fly. I have no idea. Um, so, do you end up go? Does he end up going to LA on a three-year deal? They're, the Giants are, are the Giants still in play? It's it. I assume he's going to the. Do- I think he's going to the Dodgers. I think he's going to sign, end up signing a two or th- a short year, a short contract, and try this again in two or three years. Because ten years of he's going to get money wherever, and to go to a place he, for ten years where he doesn't want to be is a long time. You know, we're not talking a two-year deal. We're not talking you know a six-month you know, mercenary deal. We're talking ten years. Obviously with an opt-out, but still. So to me, I think he's going to sign a short-term deal somewhere and try this again in two or three years. So the thing is about your short-term deal, and I, and I, I understand the concept. Remember, free agency this year has not been kind no. to anybody, except maybe Andrew McCutcheon, who signed like on day one of free agency. But since then, it has not been kind to anybody. Craig Kimbrell is still out there. The, the top reliever, perhaps in the game, is still out there looking for his contract. Dallas Keuchel is still out there. These players are around that 30-year-old mark. Now, a baseball player's prime years are, have been known to be 25 to 30, somewhere in there, maybe 29. So if you're Bryce Harper, Seth, and I'm asking you this, and somebody says, all right, I'll give you $30 million for three years, you're 26 right now. You're coming out at that 29-year number. I'm not sure that's beneficial to you. I would think in order to get a small-term, a short-term deal, you'd have to pump up that number substantially. 
to like 40. I don't think it'll be 40, but I don't think, I agree, I don't think it'll be 30 either. Um, look, worst comes to worst. He goes to Philly for $300 million. There are, there are worse fates in life. Um, but my feeling is if he wanted to be in Philly, he would, been, he would, be, he would have been in Philly ready. In, in other news, ladies and gentlemen, we had talked about earlier that the Nationals, I almost called them the Senators again, had offered Bryce Harper $300 million before the end of the baseball season. At that time, I believe I said, look out, there's some deferred money coming in. It's not really worth $300 million. The reports came out last week that $100 million of that $300 million was deferred which basically makes the value, present value dollar, present day value, accountant, present day value. Is that what I'm sure. calling it? Okay, present sure. day value of that contract, $244 million, which to you and me really doesn't matter because who cares about an extra 56 when you got 244? But it is substantially less than the $300 million contract that was reported. So... In that vein, I completely understand why Bryce Harper did not take the Nationals' money. And just think about it. He's going to get paid one way or another. So spring training has started. I know you have absolutely no excitement for baseball until, I don't know, after the All-Star break. So we're looking late late July. No, 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 no. That's not true. That's not true. I have excitement for it for the first week or so of the season. Because it means my first of all, it means tax season is almost over. Number two, it does mean kind of the beginning of spring. Um, but from a, and I do follow it. I just don't watch it because season is so damn long. Okay, well, if you didn't check today your New York Yankees did make a signing. I saw. I was happy with it. Yeah. I think the amount of year, well, the amount of year, seven years, look, I get the $10 million. Uh, That's a great number for this year. That may be a great number for next year. It potentially could be a great number for the year after. Remember, Aaron Hicks is 27 years old, 28 years old, excuse me, 28 years old, going to be 29. And to the Yankees, I do guess that this is all really monopoly, right? I mean, they can print money as far as they're concerned. But I would have thought with the Jacob Ellsbury contract, they would have learned not to have seven-year deals for guys that rely mostly on speed and fielding. A seven-year deal for Aaron Hicks, who basically will be a fourth outfielder in probably two years, is a lot. He's At least I saw that. He was fourth, I believe, in war over the last two years. Um, and again, you don't pay for you don't pay for back value. You pay for current and future, mostly for future. So, say to me, to me, if he's okay, he's say for the next three years, he's above. He, he remains above average, which I don't think is an unreasonable proposition. Nor do you. 
and he's worth 13 or 14 million a year for those years, and they're underpaying him up front. They're paying a little bit more on the back. But again, you have you have outfielders 34, 35, 36, still bringing some nice value. Now, I'm surprised more because I wonder if this means that Clint Frazier is now on the block, really on the block. Unless is Stanton going to be your your full time DH? Like where where are we looking here? Um, I don't know, but I don't hate the deal. Ellsbury was twenty million dollars a year. It was what one hundred sixty over seven, something like that, off of a year and a half in Boston. Hicks has been good, you know, has proven unable, whether based on injury or just Edwittonitis, unable to handle New York. Hicks hasn't had that issue. So, so Aaron, Aaron Hicks had a 3.9 in 2017 and a 4.7 in 2018 for a combined 8.6, which is not near the top five by any stretch considering that Mike Trout had a 10 in one year by himself. So, I, I look, I get what you're saying. If he's a fourth outfielder, you're all right with it. I just have a hard time with the way Major League Baseball is trending. Look, we have seen this, right? Let's say, let's say Andrew McCutcheon, right? Andrew McCutcheon years – I believe Andrew McCutcheon is 30 years old right now. 30 through 33 took a three-year deal worth, I believe, is $50 million. So a seven-year deal worth is $70 million, which gets you up to 35. If, if you're playing the back end versus the front, hold on. If you're playing the back end versus the front end, I get it. The way that the Yankees work is the way that everybody's working right now which is they're using the luxury tax as a salary cap. That's another $10 million in seven years. Seth, you and I in seven years will be 50 years old. That sounds way long in the future, although it probably isn't. I will be 49 years old. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, 49 in like nine months, ten months. So – Okay, so the one other thing that went on in in sports today before we wrap up was the NHL deadline, NHL trade deadline. And another sport that I believe Seth probably did not follow today. Seth, yes, no? I know Mark Stone was traded. Okay, do you know who he was traded to? I think Vegas. Yes, well done. The best, the best free agent, the best rental was traded to Las Vegas where he signed a eight-year, $9.5 million per year contract. A very large contract for a guy that has never had 65 or 70 points. But the Columbus Blue Jackets, who had Amari Panarin and Sergei... I can never pronounce this guy's name. The goalie, whatever his name is, Sergei, whatever his name is, Bukowski or something like that, doubled down. In, in a move you don't generally see from a team anymore is not only did they have two rental players, two guys that will not be signing next year with Columbus, but they acquired two more of those. 
In fact, Matthew Shane and Dingle from the Ottawa Senators says, I don't remember another team in any sport, and granted we're not talking college, but any pro sport, that and maybe you do, that had so many had free agents, top flight free agents, and said, screw it. I'm just going to go for it today, and I'll pick my poison tomorrow. I can't remember the NBA, any NBA team doing it. I certainly can't remember any baseball team doing it. Do you have any thoughts? Like, basically double downing, realizing that you're going to lose probably your top four players in one offseason. Not really. I mean, unless you want to make the argument that that's what Toronto did with Kawhi. That yeah, but that's, is, that's one guy, right? I mean, that would be the extent of acquiring Lowry, Leonard. Gasol's got a got a uh, option, so I yeah. guess you include Gasol. Acquiring Lowry, Leonard, Gasol, and say a Baca was on a free agent contract, and you acquired all of them. Or you had Lowry and Ibaka, and you acquired Gasol and Leonard. Not at the beginning of the season either. Mid-season. In a rental situation. I just, yeah. It's, and yet, it's, it's an interesting way to supplement your team. Hockey, I believe, when you, if you acquire higher talent, it's easier to mesh as opposed to the NBA where it's probably easier to mesh a supplemental talent than a top-notch talent. Yeah, I find it weird. Um, but I think also the way Columbus feels is they're never going to get the free aid. They're, they're the Florida Marlins. They're the, they're the, I don't want to say New Orleans, they're the Sacramento Kings that they're never going to get anybody worth a damn in free agency. So they almost have to be mercenary-esque circa 1997 Florida to make a run at these things and make a run. Every five years, you can build up and take your chances. Unlike the other teams, unlike the other leagues, there are no supplemental picks when you lose free agents in hockey. So unlike the NFL where you would get a supplemental pick for losing a free agent. So just a little tidbit there. So we got five minutes to go. I'll I'll be happy to go first. Again, last uh, show in New York. It's bittersweet. I won't lie. There's uh, I'm pacing up and down in my basically empty apartment, but it's been a great ride. It really has uh, we'll talk more about this next week on the show. Uh, thank you so much to all those people that came out this past weekend for my going away party. It was humbling to say the least to see people that generally do not come out and they do and uh, just to see me off. So I was honored and humbled uh, by everybody that in the last week has shown an interest in seeing me one more time. And you know what? I'm not a stranger. I'll be back. Uh, The people, my friends in uh, Boston certainly know that I don't just go away. That's not the way I was built. That's not the way I am. And the show will continue. I mean, I've I've been getting this question all week. 
Will your sports radio show continue? Ladies and gentlemen, it's 2019. You don't have to be in New York to have a sports radio show. Seth and I will continue, hopefully in perpetuity or until one of us croaks. Um, But we will be here next week. So uh, thank you very much to everybody that came out. And uh, I'm still around for a couple of days if you want to share your face. So, Seth, you're up. you got three minutes, my friend. Okay. Um, You're humbled? You? I am. Humbled? I am. Yep. Yeah, I've had a couple other people ask whether we were going to host the show still. I don't think it's ever really crossed our mind to stop it, to be perfectly honest. Nope. Um, you know, since we started the show, we made fun of each other's dating lives continuously, gave out each other's phone numbers on the, on the radio show continuously, <laughs> or, you know, one of us found someone they could stand a little bit more than the other and, and moved forward. Um, but it's been a consistent in my life. It's been a consistent in your yep. life. It's been a consistent... And the people who listen to the down to listen to the podcasts, and because most people listen on podcasts, very few people listen live at this point. We don't host the show in person very often, and half the time the damn reception doesn't go through when we do. Um, you know, it, to me, it's an excuse for me to continue to hang out with my best friend on a weekly basis to talk what I love and what I know best, other than well, the new CPA laws. Why would I ever stop? <laughs> Doesn't make sense to me. Um, so yeah, until until my wife nags me to death, and or shoots Sean, also a distinct possibility at some point. Um, no. That'll be long distance now. That'll be very long distance. <laughs> Never put anything past my wife. Love you, hon. <laughs> um, no, next week will be a little bit more, but we'll, there's no sad. Like, actually, one of your good friends, you know, asked, he's like, are you sad? Oh, yeah, my best friend's moving. It sucks. Um, but Agreed. I'll be honest, I never thought you were going to be here this long anyway. So I'm glad you were here as long as you were. And, you know, the three people you care about most are 20 minutes out, outside of New York City. You'll go see the kid. You'll go see them as much as you can. You'll have you'll have a room to crash in, in, in Jersey in a couple months. We'll see you April 29th. I mean, the reality is you need you do what you got to do. And what we do well is we talk sports. Sometimes not as articulately as we like. Sometimes a little, you know, sometimes a little bit out of our ass. But we're good at it. It was fun. <laughs> so. Why would we ever stop? Look, I am in full agreement with everything that you just said. I really am. It is, it is time for everything. It is the best week of my uh, best week. It is the best hour of my week in most cases. And next week we'll talk to you at a different time because we got ten seconds. So for Seth Caymans, this is Sean Bomber, backsportspage.com, blogtalkradio.com, Seth and Sean Sports Radio. And next week on the road, we'll talk to you then. Have a good night, everybody. Peace out.